This is episode 2F of Free is in Freedom for Tuesday, August 14th, 2012. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free is in Freedom. We were had a hiatus of one episode, but we didn't mess with the numbering. So we're this back. is the next number. So this is Foxtrot and we were last two, at Echo? No, two Foxtrot. Two Foxtrot, sorry. And we were last yeah, at Foxtrot Echo. Foxtrot was a long time ago. It was, it was. It was zero Foxtrot and it was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, I forget what episode number, but when we get to Foxtrot, Foxtrot, we have a problem because we're, we're two digits. But I, I figured out once it was a really long time till we get there. So I'm not too worried. I'm not worried either. <laughs> um, so, uh, right. So we're back. Well, we well we were due to travel schedules. We couldn't record the previous episode, and because those of you who are a fan of Dan Lynch's other podcasts know that he does Rat Hole Radio on the opposite weeks of when Freeze and Freedom comes out, and that's by design because we don't make him edit the freeze and freedom show when he's on the weekends he's recording right hole radio which means we had to skip because he's super awesome and does all this work for the show he's just a volunteer so it's uh we want to keep his life easier if possible yeah it's really not fair to ask him to try to produce two podcasts in the same weekend thank you dan lynch so and yeah and right radio just doesn't produce he also is the star yeah well i guess the music he plays is the star but he's the dj right so uh, that's why there was no uh, episode. Uh, I, I, you, well, you went to, we went to different conferences. Right, I, right. Uh, Bradley went to OSCON. I was supposed to go to OSCON, but due to health issues, I, uh, I wound up staying home. And, um, and then I went to Guadalc. So we barely overlapped. We had like um, a few hours in the same city, mm-hmm. but uh, not enough time to record. So uh, I, and I didn't go to Guadalajara this year, although I, I usually go. In fact, um, I'm on the advisory board of the GNOME Foundation on behalf of the Free Software Foundation, which is actually the longest standing role that I've had in the free software community. That's pretty cool. Because I, when I worked as FSEP's executive director, I became the representative on the GNOME advisory board for FSF, and that was in 2002. And I stayed in that position even when I wasn't an employee of FSF anymore. And before I was on the board of directors, because some of our listeners may know that there was a period of time where I had basically no affiliation with FSF, uh, other than that being the GNOME advisor. And a member. Represent, well, yeah, as an associate member, but that's, uh, that's an affiliation only through money. <laughs> uh, in it fact, still counts. It counts. I mean, it's, it's the, I mean, it's actually how FSF is supported. It's primarily mm-hmm. supported by its associate members and everyone should become an associate member. I just member. renewed mine. But we have to be very careful and clear that, uh, it's a non-voting membership. You can't vote for the board of directors. In fact, mm-hmm. I think it's dangerous to be able to buy votes and, and not I have to say, like, uh, the longer I spend with GNOME, the, more impressed I am with a membership structure where you have membership based on contribution. Right. Well, that's and then good, have that, those members money. be voting. Right. Um, I was really a fan of the self-perpetuating board before. Mm-hmm. So of a board that basically invited new members and kept itself going. But having watched, you know, two turnovers now of the GNOME board and seeing how, you know, engaged people are in their community, I actually think that that structure is really good. But you can't buy votes and go. You can't no, donate no. a bunch of money to Gnome Foundation and then get a vote. No. 
you have to actually contribute code or documentation or coordination work or volunteer work of some kind to yeah. get home. Any any contribution counts. Yeah. So uh, so that I think that's important. I, I'm I'm actually kind of disturbed by the new OSI structure, which was announced at OSCON, mm-hmm. where you can buy yep. you can buy votes in OSI now. So I, I I warned about this a long time ago that if OSI was talking about doing this, and I said those who want to mess with the OSI's license list will just buy up enough memberships to vote out licenses they don't like and vote in licenses they well, like. Well, that's the trade association model. I mean, that's how. But OSI is a C three, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like that's, you know, that's the, the same similar problems that we've pointed out in the past about trade associations. It's sort of the same problem. So are we getting to the point? Uh, this is a, this wasn't the topic we we're going to discuss. Actually, we'll get to the topic we were going to discuss in a minute. But do you think that this is a danger for the license list for OSI? You know, I, mean, I, I feel like it is. I actually thought about it before, so I'd like to think about it before yeah. I sort of come out with some opinion on on our oddcast but um simon's argument to me i raised this directly with simon is there a limit to how many votes that are no no you just well then then individual gives money i saw this but i hadn't i hadn't each individual it was announced uh, simon phipps announced it at oscon and each individual can can give money to osi at some amount and then they get voting rights in osi so i i I mean i I don't know if i can i'm getting worried that i can't trust the osi's license list anymore hmm I mean, not immediately because it'll take a while for people and the to membership buy up the votes. The membership has, elects the board. The membership elects. The, oh, oh, I see. So then they can elect a board that okay. will approve licenses they like and and kick out licenses they don't like. Hmm. So I mean, I'm worried about AGPL being yanked off the list because there's a lot of anti-AGPL sentiment. Um, there, I'm worried about licenses being put on that don't fit the OSD. I mean, we already have a drift between I mean, how the much FSF's discretion list. is there on the board for what what is included and what isn't included in the license list? It's, I mean, they can, they've got there. I guess they could they could amend the criteria. Well, yeah, but they, they, I mean, they basically apply the criteria and the criteria are, are, are nebulous, right? I mean, that's that's true well, of every license list. I mean, you have the open source definition. Which there, has, are, there are areas where I think the license list, there's some ambiguity, but I think largely the license list, I mean, the license requirements are pretty clear. I mean, no, I, I will have to see what happens. I, I mean, it's the same way like with the four freedoms, you know, like they're a very bold statement. You understand what they're about, but there are areas where great, you know, areas that are gray, they're harder to understand. Um, well, I'm, I'm pretty disturbed about what about OSI hmm. sell, selling its basically selling its leadership. That's really interesting. Um, uh, and, and I mean, it's more like, I mean, it reminds me, it's sort of the kind of structure that clubs use. Uh, and there are C3 clubs that do mm-hmm. this, where you, um, like a hockey club or some other type of club you get involved with and you pay your dues to be to get access to, say, the community pool or the community ice rink mm-hmm. or something like that. And those are paid memberships. And then they get voting rights. And right. that sort of makes sense when you have a shared resource that you're basically paying for together. Um, yeah, I mean, there are situations benefit. where you could see the voting situation is appropriate, but... Not in this case. Uh, anyway. It doesn't seem to be. So so that was something I saw announced that I was kind of... And, and I have already raised this with Simon Phipps, and he doesn't agree with me, which is fine. Um, but uh, but So I'm not, like, sh- like attacking him here, um, not, uh, not having raised it. Did you ask any of the OSI board members? Um, I didn't really see many of them. They weren't around very much. Okay. Um, I'm going to uh, ask. Yeah, so... See if we can get some insight. Okay, I mean, if you can get a guest on, that's fine. Oh, I'm sure that's we good. could get a guest on. Oh, that could be. I can think of two that would probably agree right oh, now. Two board members. Might okay, agree. well, we'll we'll see if that's, that's possible. That's a great idea. And oh, we should mention uh, to, as a as a uh, excitement for the next episode. Teaser. We, we have a guest uh, planned so for the next episode that we've promised before. So are we saying who it is? No, I don't know. It's up to you. 
<laughs> I wasn't going to say, but you can say. Um, if you want to. Well, I don't know. Okay. Well, people will be excited. They'll okay. wonder who it is. Okay. It's someone we mentioned before. Okay. So you can go back if you have to listen to My only hesitation episodes. is that we once got a guest and that guest... Lost. Yeah, it's true. And that guest uh, pulled the episode. That's true. So, you know. Yep. It's always true. possible. I don't think that's going to happen with this guy. I don't think so. I, I, I mean, recording difficulties could happen or something. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Or schedule tra- traveling. So, so, uh, so that was one thing that got announced at, at OzCon. Um, was there anything else worth reporting? I don't, well, I, I, the thing that's worth reporting is that Bradley got an award. Well, I wasn't going to say. I was going to say you in third person, but you know that you got an award. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to be the one to say that. But that's uh, to me. It's one of the. It's it's probably the biggest news item that came out of Oscon this year. <laughs> well, the awards the awards are are just a, a thing at the last day that they do now. Um, I, I yeah. The thing that was most important to me. I wrote a. Uh, I'll link to in the show notes. I wrote a um, acceptance speech because we weren't allowed to give acceptance. Yeah, speeches. I wasn't allowed to give one last I know. year. And either. Carl Fogel told me he wasn't allowed to give one years ago when he. So it's been a but while. But it was a better award when he got it. <laughs> it's true. It was a better award because it, it had a cash reward as well. Yeah, um, but, but not uh, so much when by the well, time we back, got it. Well, that well that was back when it was the Google O'Reilly right. Awards. Now it's just the O'Reilly Open Source Award. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, I watch enough award shows that I wanted to be like, I, I want to thank the Academy and the Hollywood Foreign Press. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't get to do any of that. Yeah, I was a little disappointed last year, too, that I couldn't say anything. Or Yeah, because you have to thank the Hollywood Foreign Press. Right. It's funny. I watched the, um, the, uh, the Golden Globes for years before, because my wife watches the Golden Globes, and I watched them with her for years until I finally asked her, why everybody felt the Hollywood Foreign Press was so important. And she's like, that's who votes on the awards. And I was like, oh. Like, for years, I didn't realize why everybody at the Golden Globes thanked the Hollywood Foreign Press. Actually, I didn't realize that either. That's interesting. But that's why the first thing they say is, I want to thank the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press because they vote on that award. It's like it's like at the, at the Academy Awards saying, I want to thank the Academy because the Academy are the people that vote right. to decide. So you would have then said, at, at OSCON, you would have had to have said, I'd like I to thank, thank Tim O'Reilly. O'Reilly. <laughs> O'Reilly and past, past winners or, or the past oh, recipients that, yeah, of it's, the... It's a secret... Uh, uh, group. It says that wasn't published. Which group decided? So. Well, I think in past years it was. It's past recipients plus some O'Reilly people. Well, there's some non-O'Reilly people too because I had people confidentially tell me that they were on the committee who were neither award winners. Oh, really? People. Yes, huh? but I won't. I don't want to say who they are because okay. I don't know if I'm allowed to. But anyway. Um, oh, actually, I know. Um, I think it's also it's it's basically it's the previous. I think it's the previous committee plus. Okay. So, so. Uh, is what I, cause I think I know who you're talking yes. about. Yes. So, so yeah. that's, um, that's the story. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, the most important thing for me for the award is the people that got it before that I'm now basically in that community with, like Evan Perdromo and Karen and Carl Fogel and, um, Jeremy Allison and Harold. La- and Harold Velta and all these other people who have gotten the award in the past that, that I, that's, that's a, well, that's I'm a really glad you got the award, um, because you deserve it. Yeah. It's, uh, and I haven't gotten any emails. So well, I actually got one email asking why I accepted an open source award and not a free software award, which, which my answer was, was very simple that, um, that basically, the award was clearly given to me for my work promoting software freedom, so I accepted yeah. it in the spirit it was given, which was for that work. Um, oh, of course. And it's like, I mean, it could have been called the Joe Schmo Award for blah, right? And it, But it was for my work. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, that's how I felt about the medical devices work, um, which is what I, I think primarily got the... Well, I have no idea. It was a little, it was a little vague what my award was for, but I, I, I took it happily. Um, but, uh, but all of the work that I've done has been for software freedom, so... Well, you the know. person who nominated us is trying to decide who to nominate next year. Yeah. Because... Well, but uh, but I, I know for a fact that he wasn't the only person who nominated us, okay. um, even though uh, 
it was super awesome of him to nominate us. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's trying to figure out who he's going to nominate next year because he wants to make sure he's always nominating the winner. That's so great. So, uh, so I'll have to figure out who he should nominate next year, if they have the awards next year, which I'm wondering if they might not. You really you think they might well, not? I was wondering that last not, year. It was not, such an afterthought, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it's fine. It's, I mean, they... they um, I think maybe they shouldn't give it to so many people. Yeah, if they just gave one a year. Yeah, I mean, it's or, like or the even Python two, two award, or three. Which they also give at OzCon the Python award mm-hmm. um, for the Python community, which is only one person each year. And they used to give a Pearl award. They used to give the White Camel, mm-hmm. which they stopped getting. Actually, they probably still give the White Camel at um, at the Pearl thing, which I always miss because mm-hmm. there's an event that's often scheduled against it. So I haven't seen Larry Wall's talk in years, which is kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But um, but Pearl is also an afterthought at OzCon now, too, which is kind right. of sad. Pearl is Pearl is the cobol of free software. Interesting. I, that's been my view for a long time. Mm. It's it, it really it, it, there is there are millions and millions of probably hundreds of millions of lines of Pearl code out there being maintained, and people writing new Pearl five code from scratch right. you know, for lots of projects and shops where they've been mostly a Pearl five shop, and yet it's not what people talk about all the time. Uh, anymore, and that's exactly what happened with COBOL. There's still millions and millions and millions of lines of COBOL getting written new and fresh every year, uh, because yep. lots of banks and uh, health insurance companies and and those sorts government of places, agencies. government agencies still still maintain systems in COBOL, and Pearl's sort of becoming that. I think that's I, the reason Fortran. I say that. It's not an insult. Well, Fortran's relatively contained to the scientific community, but there's so much of uh, it. It's a lot of it in the scientific community. It's true. Um. And but so much of it gets written fresh. Yeah, it's the other thing. But I, I think people forget that these pretty much any language that was once popular is going to live forever, basically. And Maybe not forever. forever. Well, for a very for a long, long time. time. I mean, COBOL is is two generations old now, almost. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was a generation old when I started as a developer, and there were COBOL jobs. Uh, but some of these sort of side languages, I wrote a lot of Informix 4GL code, which I, actually I looked recently and there were still people writing that proprietary garbage. Um, one of my, one of the free software projects I was going to start one day once was I was going to write something to make Informix 4GL compile with GCC and then have it run against MySQL or something. Hmm. But it didn't seem really worth it. I found out that my, um, my mother-in-law was a COBOL programmer <laughs> back in the 60s. Yeah, well, there's um, there's a lot of COBOL code, which is uh, which is interesting because she's she's not a technical person now, um, but I thought found that actually really inspiring. The only command I know in COBOL is using. I don't know. I don't know any. Yeah, I never wrote COBOL. No, me neither. I obviously. read some COBOL once. Uh, anyway, so, so I, was, I thought I that was awesome. great well, that you, you won the award nice and um, and I it. it's awesome. Give so, me your laptop again. Ah. Oh, it's not good for your laptop. It's not good for my laptop. I promise I don't do it very often. So uh, I, I, I swear people at Zarizan, I treat my laptop great. <laughs> so uh, the so I, anything else that happened in OSCON that we should mention, I don't really know. I don't think so. Okay. There wasn't very much going on there. Was there a Floss Foundations meeting? Um, well, the Floss Foundations meeting folded into CLS, and I don't go to CLS anymore, um, in part because it's it's really, it makes everything too long, because the, the Community Leadership Summit, which is John O'Bacon's conference, um, starts on Saturday morning, which means you have to arrive Friday, which means you're basically staying a full seven days in Portland, because you, you have to get there fr- by Friday night to be there Saturday morning. Uh, if you're coming from the east coast of the U.S., um, so 
you, or pretty much anywhere that you're going to have to arrive that way. So then you're there Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday are tutorial days at OzCon. So you don't really, there's not as many people there. And so you, but you're there at that point, And then you have to be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you're leaving Saturday or Friday night if you're taking a red eye back to the East Coast. So I just couldn't do that anymore, that whole big right. OzCon. And, and CLS is... It, it, it's it's an unconference, and actually, I had keynotes uh, like Jono keynoted, which was was odd. Uh, usually, what? The, the organizer keynoting at their own conference. Oh yeah. Although Tim O'Reilly keynoted that's again true. this year. Actually, at I, did, I did. Bothered me too, actually. I was asked initially to if I, you know, to keynote Guadalc, and I thought that that was not really a great. Yeah, exactly. It's the organizer. Yeah, and I just feel like you know I'm very visible and present at Guadalc. Nobody, yeah. you know, needs to hear me keynote. Yeah, and it's and for example, the the Evergreen project was considering, or actually somebody suggested that I keynote at the Evergreen conference, and I actually said no right. I before right is when they suggested it. I said no, that's not. I mean, conservant Evergreen's part of conservancy. It's yeah. It but what we can do is we can be there as a backup plan. So I've done this before. If you're, you're you can always be a backup plan if the speaker doesn't show. <laughs> that's, that's always true. fun. Actually, I, I kind of like that the uh, being able to save the day when a oh that's what we had to do when when, when uh, at, at uh, Fosdem on our track actually you and i had to do that as yes track organizers. yeah we had to do that I, i've had to do that a couple of other times too so. um it's, it's nice just to be able to to know you can give a talk if, if all else if all else fails it's not like you'll have to have a an hour of nothing so uh so um so should we should we do like a little a, a little end of this segment and have a new segment to the backwater okay we can do that So you went to Guadalc and I didn't. Guadalc was super fun. Okay. Really intense. Intense. Well, it just it was you know I mean, so for me anyway, um, in part because you know it's a conference that I was helping to run and organize, which I've never done before really, and um, and also because we before Guadalc we had a um, our all day uh, board of directors meeting followed by our all day advisory board meeting, then followed by the core conference days, um, and then you know, buff and workshop days. So did, did you guys make a conscious decision to put those first instead of last this time? Because Which, in, the in board pre- meeting and, and the advisory they board used meeting? To be, they used to be after Guadalc. We talked about it a lot and um, thought that it made a lot of sense to have it before for a number of reasons, including helping advisory board members with travel. Um, because if we should do it after would have been to have it during the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of thought it was better to have the board meeting before the advisory board meeting have the board members have to travel. And then people were frustrated last year that they had to miss so much of WADEC to attend the meetings when they were on the same, you know, when they overlap with the conference itself. So that's what we, I don't know what we'll do next year because I think this year people sort of were so burnt out by the end. There's so many days of intensity that um, maybe we, we do want to overlap a little bit. I think the thing is you can't, you can't go to, you can't go to everything and participate fully in everything because eventually it's a long, it's a long haul. Um, you know, after all those days, you just start to become a little bit less productive anyway. So, um, so yeah, no, I mean, it was good. And also it was intense for me as well because I'd had the health issues leading up to Guadalc. So, um, I, I only, you know, I didn't get all of my doctors to give me permission to go. <laughs> well, you got back safely. But so. I went anyway. Yeah. But, um, but it was one of those things where I had to be extra careful to make sure I didn't exert myself physically. Um, you know, and, um, Mike went and my husband and helped 
immensely by uh, driving me from door to door and, you know, uh, making sure that everything was easy. Um, so that was great. Um, but no, but the conference was just amazing. There are a lot of, um, I don't know if our listeners are following the press, but there are a lot of uh, high-level issues being discussed at GNOME right now. And the thing that was so cool about Guadac is that we had a, a lot of these, all, all of these discussions out in the open in ways that invited everybody to partake and to voice their opinion. And there were no incidents that I'm aware of, of any, you know, at all during the entire conference of anyone being treated disrespectfully, of anyone not, you know, having a chance to voice their opinion. So many times at free software conferences, you know, there are situations where people get shut down, where there's a slightly jerky response or something like that, you know, something where a, a core group of people wants to be able to lead the show and not, you know, and, 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 and usually there's one or two instances where people feel excluded. And I don't think that happened at all at this time. Um, and I, I wrote this um, in my blog post about Guadec at The Hague, which was, I guess, two years ago. Um, there was, I guess, was, was it... 2011? No, what was the Hague? 2011? 2010. 2010, yeah. So it was two years ago. Did I miss two Guadics in a row? Where was 2011? 2011 was a desktop summit. Desktop summit. Oh, I didn't miss that. That was in Berlin. Yeah, but it was 2010, Guadic and the Hague. And I, and I wrote in my blog post after it, it, it Guadic is, is, is basically the only, uh, it's going to be sound horrible when I say this, but it's only, the only free software conference. I, oh, that's not true because the Evergreen conference was this way too. But most um, free software conferences, they don't actually really they aren't so good that they really make you want to contribute to the project. Um, and I found this actually was true of the Evergreen Conference as well. I went to recently uh, for the Evergreen Project and for um, Guadec, where you go to the conference and it actually makes you want to contribute to the project. And you feel like if you're not a major contributor when you go there, initially you want to be. And I actually stayed around um, for the Hackfest Day at Evergreen uh, Conference because of this. Because mm. and, and and part of it was because the Evergreen community is a much more diverse community than most of our free software communities. M most of the people who showed up at Evergreen Conference were users, not developers. The so developers were actually the minority hmm. there. I, mean, I don't know if that's true of Guadix. I mean, Guadix always been the users and developers. It is, but it's very heavy on the developers. That's something I want to work on for next year to see if we can actually get more of a user's um, conference there um mm -hmm. going as well because i think that's you know one of the things that we want to do is to you know is to really take solid you know input and feedback from users and um you know have really good training tracks and things like that so i, I think well that might be helpful gnome 3 might be helpful with that because there's a lot more users can do to configure their their environment than was possible under GNOME 2 because they have the JavaScript engine and people can actually write. Mm -hmm. Users can actually write a little bit right of code. It's in, in very, very much, it's sort of like, I mean, you, you, basically, I haven't said this yet, but GNOME 3 is just basically reinventing Emacs. You realize that? Whoa. Right? Well, because it's making... <laughs> Whoa, what? <laughs> it's, putting a, it's putting a scripting language into the center of the project. I mean, that's that's really... If you strip away all the interface issues and, and what buttons do what, which was, I know there was a big arguments about that, the big change in GNOME 3 is that the center piece of the interface is the JavaScript engine. Hmm. And that's that's what made Emacs popular. So, I mean, given Emacs' success, GNOME 3 was popular, right? That's because, funny. because it's completely scriptable and everything is scriptable in the JavaScript interface. Well, getting back to so that's really interesting. I have to think about that. But but uh, but getting back to what you said about the community at um, the GNOME community at Guadac being very welcoming and well, you know, I did want to say that actually it's funny because Mike, you know, who's really just hanging out to make sure that I was able to get around okay, 
he wound up attending a lot of talks and hanging around. And, and he came out saying, boy, I really, I really want to write some code for GNOME. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was really neat. But one of the things that was different this year was that there was a real effort made by our outreach team to incorporate, um, you know, our, our formal newcomers. So the people who participate in the Google Summer of Code and the outreach program for women. And what we did was, uh, we had these outreach games. So basically we gave, we made teams of the, um, of the outreach participants and they each had tasks. It was kind of like, sort of like a scavenger hunt, but what they, you look so horrified. I wouldn't want to do this, but. But what it was, was, was going around to GNOME hackers and asking them questions like, what was your first squad deck? Um, things like that. And so what was neat about that was that people, they had an excuse to talk to some of the, you know, they had to find out who had been to every Guadec. They had, you know, they, so, you know, things like that, that gave them excuses to talk to, you know, the, you know, a lot of the people who are potentially, you know, intimidating for newcomers to talk to. And they had reasons to talk to them and it, it, it resulted in them feeling a lot more integrated. And, um, and what was great about it was a lot of the questions were filmed. And so we had all this great footage of like, you know, a lot of great core GNOME people talking about GNOME. So, I mean, you know, it was great because we also have, you know, materials coming out of it that we can, we can show, um, for, for, for GNOME's, uh, 15th anniversary, which is coming up and actually will come up, will be the day after, I believe, this podcast comes out. So happy birthday, GNOME. <laughs> so is that, is that the date? Is that done by the date of the email? Federico's and Miguel's email? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's exciting. Um, but <laughs> I'm just but, laughing because I actually received, I, I'm, I'm obviously old because I actually received that email, I think, into my inbox. But, but what's, but whatever what's, list I was on, it got forwarded to. That's cool. Yeah, but it just makes you feel old. <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited about this because, um, because not only did they do that, but we also had like, um, we, we had a lightning track session where, um, the average participants were able to, share their, um, you know, give short presentations about what they're working on. And in the past, we've done that, but it's been just, you know, one session amongst many. But this year, we made it a keynote track. And I think that what should, you know, what evidenced how well these outreach efforts are working is that that keynote track was very, very well attended. It was pretty much full. Mm-hmm. And everyone there was completely into all of the presentations. It's like by the time we got to that session, which was at the end of sort of towards the end of the core days, you know, everybody knew some of the outreach participants were rooting for them. For some of these, these um, participants, it was the first kind of presentation they were giving. And it was only three minutes, but it was great. And, you know, you just got this sense of, you know, that there's a real priority being, um, in, in the community, just a personal priority towards newcomers and towards people who are just starting to contribute. And, um, it was just awesome and overwhelming. So and the, how did you end up funding all the outreach program participants and summer crow people to come? So we did put a premium on, tra- we said we did prioritize them for travel. Right. Within the GNOME uh, regular travel budget. Yeah. Within the GNOME regular travel budget um google generously helped us mm-hmm. with some of the summer of code travel um and we were you know some people were only able to sponsor partially but they were they're so jazzed about what they're working on they covered the rest themselves yeah i mean that's that's the thing that, that worries me most about free software conferences and and i'm i'm an odd duck in this regard because i very early on saw the value of conferences and actually i, I got an email uh, from winning the award from uh, somebody i know named james carter 
um, that that was uh, somebody I knew in Cincinnati, and we he he's actually still a Pearl developer. Um, he he and I were very into Pearl when I lived in Cincinnati in in the late '90s, and he and I used to go to the Pearl conference and a few other conferences, uh, and it was very difficult to go to them because we didn't have the money to do it. And, I, and my wife actually reminded me. She says, "James, isn't James the one you slept? To, you both had to sleep in the car that night, <laughs> and which which we did. We would we would we would rent a car." the last night rather than a hotel because a car rental is so much cheaper and then you sleep in the car and your flights the next morning right, right. And, and we used to do that you know we used to get the you know get like fine parking lots where we didn't think the security was going to come knock on our door for sleeping in the car and, and that sort of thing and and I, that i did all that because going I, I realized early on that conferences were the central way to get involved in free software and that's why i kept doing it and did it i mean i couldn't i guess i'm just too old now i just couldn't do that kind of like hard on your body kind of travel of not being able to sleep in a bed and all this sort mm -hmm. of stuff that i used to do i mean I, there are times when i just stayed up all night we just drove around and stayed up all night once we had four people all in the car so we couldn't actually sleep in the car because it's too many people and we drove around all night um as a answer to the uh, flight the next morning that was for uh, i think a use next wow. um but i mean these it, it, these conferences are, are hard to get to for people and and um i mean certainly oscon has gotten to the point where it's a, it's a usual suspects um it was weird because they, they at oscon they gave they, they asked how many people was their first oscon and most of the audience raised their hands because but most of them were people being sent by their company to learn about this open source thing right, as it were right. um so my gut sort of tells me that that while well, and the speakers are all the usual suspects at, at, at oscon and so i i feel like to, to actually, I mean, we're going to need to do programs like this where we're getting people to conferences and funding them to go to conferences to, to basically make sure that we have newcomers who can do that. It makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, I, I, a lot of these, a lot of our, you know, participants did spend out of their own pocket for a lot of it. Um, but we did try to fund whatever we could and it made such a big difference. And I have to say that the, the results of the outreach program for women have been really extraordinary. I don't think, I wasn't at a single talk in the entire Guadec where I was the only woman. Well, that's good. I mean, that's it, and that's made it. And the women who were there were absolutely were engaged and and you know and a, a part of what was going on. It wasn't like and these aren't just the outreach program for women participants. Now there are former participants who are now active members of the community. It's really cool. Well, although the Evergreen Conference, I'm sure, had you beat, but <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> well, but well, we're I mean, still we're still sure. not great. I mean, you know, our percentages are still, yeah. you know, we're well less than twenty five. As far as I, I didn't, I didn't see any or numbers well out of the Evergreen Conference, but I would say that the Evergreen Conference is probably majority women, actually. Right. Um, right. You said. You said. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it, but but at for GNOME, this is a huge True. improvement. I know. I know. I'm and for free software projects generally, we're. Mm -hmm. We're doing great. Yeah, well, I, and I think so. Uh, and then we can do a lot better. I mean, this is this is what really got me interested in in the specifics of Evergreen and how Evergreen is. That there aren't many. Uh, sorry to go off on this. I think I talked about this on a previous episode, but I think it's important. So, so in April when I went to that Evergreen conference, it really made me realize that. One of the, I mean, obviously the outreach program for women that you're doing at GNOME is one way to get developers involved. But, uh, but the way the evergreen community is engaged more with its users, it means that users are crossing over to developers in some sense. And there are, there are people, librarians who have done integration work who are now effectively becoming developers 
who were just who, who were just librarians in the past, and now they're not librarians. Just who, librarians. Well, not just, li but the point is they weren't you. developers at you. all. Well, actually, and just users of the system. They just logged into it every morning to check books in and, and yeah. find materials, and now they're actually contributing uh, code or integration um, uh, information and stuff to, to the to, to the project. So, so I, I mean, I think I think engagement with users, and you you talked about going on wanting to do that. that I mean, that's something Evergreen has done really well because it, out of necessity, because 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 it, it, it is such a target an application for a specific user yeah. base. Yeah. Uh, they were forced to, to have that kind of engagement with users. And I think going forward, other projects need to do that. I think, I mean, we've had great success with outreach program for women in terms of bringing in women who, you know, worked on marketing or design who wound up realizing that they wanted to contribute in other ways to the project and who are now summer of code students. Hmm. So, or have been. So what's great is we have had people come in who are, you know, coming in and, you know, non-development roles who are now in development roles so which i think is is a huge triumph and i think our guest uh, next episode will have some things to say about engagement with users uh, and, mm. and writing uh, writing end user applications uh, in free software and trying to engage with those users so uh, so that will be a nice for, for the archive of our podcasts that will be a nice connector point i think yeah really cool yeah, so I mean, Guadic was so. I mean, that was the over like the undercurrent of atmosphere at Guadic. It was one of um, real inclusion. Um, it, you know, we had about um, just under three hundred participants this time. Um, you know, and an overwhelming number of them care deeply about the um, the future of GNOME. And so we've had a lot of great discussions. Um, you know, and we've got a, a lot of work cut out for us going forward. But I have to say, there it was it's ironic because there was all this like you know negative press about GNOME at the time during Guadec, um, when none of us were able to respond to it because we were, you know, having our great discussions and working on stuff. Um, uh, but it's funny because it, the actual impression at Guadec was the opposite of what a lot of that press was. Um, so I. But what about the future of Sawfish? Because <laughs> I, I need to keep using Sawfish. And my GNOME 2 panel, see? I did uh, mention that you were using Sawfish. At, uh, it came up at Guadec, I forget <laughs> how. But in some conversation with someone, they're like, somebody said, well, nobody's using Sawfish. And I said, well. <laughs> well, somebody's maintaining Sawfish. I mean, it's not somebody in the GNOME community anymore. It was that there was a, somebody in the GNOME community maintaining. I, I don't know if you know the history of Sawfish, but the, the main developer of Sawfish was hired by Apple to work on OS X. Yeah, you talked about this in yeah. another episode, actually, yeah. which is how and I so, know. And so, yeah, so he's, uh, so now somebody else is maintaining it. Um, and that, it was, it was idle for many years. Um, and now it's like, I mean, you know, you can write, you can write your window manager in Lisp. I mean, everything should be like Emacs. I mean, that's really the point here is Sawfish makes window <laughs> managers like Emacs. And I know I'll switch to GNOME 3 eventually because it, it makes, it makes the whole desktop like Emacs. Um, now the problem is JavaScript. That's the problem because I, I don't like JavaScript. You keep trying to derail me from talking about Guadec. Is there some reason why? No, I just, you know, are you going to have a Lisp engine in GNOME oh. next release? GNOME 3.3 3 or 4? We'll so I just there was just one more point okay. I wanted to make about Guadec. Is it, it about just, putting a Lisp engine in the GNOME? It is not. It is not. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but I did actually just get rid of my Lisp books. It was <laughs> we were cleaning up, and I just, uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, but the um, oh, the, so the, the one other point that I wanted to make about our community and how um, productive and interesting Guadec was was that. You know, no single company was had greater than um, like I think it was twelve percent attendance at Guadec 
and it wasn't the company that you think it would be <laughs> that uh, that was that number. No, I know who I think it would be, but uh, but I know enough about Canoe Community to make the right guess. Okay. Do you want me to make the guess? No. Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I, I, but I know what I know what most people would guess, and I know so I know what you're saying. Right. But I actually have a different guess. But it was it was pretty well distributed. Yeah. So, um, it was it was great. That's all. That's all okay. I'm going to say. I'm so excited to work. I mean, you know, coming out of Guadalajara, I'm so excited to work for Gnome. I'm really excited about all the things that we're working on. And it was a real, you know, sort of infusion of energy and uh, focus. So I was I was just really excited to talk about that. Okay. So we'll, <laughs> Thank uh, you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I'm, sure, I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it. And I think it goes to my point of, of people not being able to make conferences. I, mm-hmm. I think one of the things, if we've done anything any good on the show, um, and maybe some people don't like it, but I think it is valuable to try and bring some of these conferences to folks who can't possibly go yeah. to these conferences. And I think a lot of our, li- I know because people say it to me on IRC, um, like X1101, who basically says he can never make it to any of these conferences, can't go to these conferences. It, it, they're getting some content or some knowledge or some info about those conferences without, without actually yeah. being there. And the videos from Guadalajara were, they're still being processed now, but we were sure to take footage of all of our talks. So um, we will we'll have that some of that material at least not in the not too distant future. It's just we're all it's it's all volunteer run. And so you are you not going to be at any conferences coming up because of pending? I could give birth at any time now. Okay, so um, <laughs> that would be an interesting end to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, I was going to mention the conferences I'm going to be at. Okay. Coming up. So, uh, oh, okay, yeah. So I, I, uh, folks will have, by the time you heard this, you will have missed me at, uh, Foscon in Philadelphia, uh, which I'm speaking at, uh, which I already spoke at a couple days ago by the time you hear this. But, uh, f- coming up, you can see me at LinuxCon North America, uh, where I'll be speaking. And I'll also be speaking at least twice, and I might have a keynote. I'm still talking to them about this at Open World Forum in Paris in October. Oh, cool. So I, I don't know if it, I'm definitely giving two talks about legal, free software legal issues. And then I might do a keynote as well. That I, it's not, it's all organized by volunteers and it's not, some of the stuff's not clear. Um, so, but that's okay because volunteers, you know, they're volunteers. So, um, and it's reasonable. I, I, uh, will probably be at the Summer of Code Mentor Summit, uh, in late October. And then in November, I'm going to be at, uh, LinuxCon Europe and, uh, the talks, uh, announced haven't been accepted yet. But I have talk proposals in, and I think I might be speaking, but I'll at least be there, if nothing else. And I will most likely be at the uh, Gnome Boston Summit in the first week in October. Okay. I won't be at that. Okay. I thought it wasn't going to be in Boston this year. It, uh, we weren't it sure. It was, it was in Montreal last year. There was some discussion about where it was going to be, but uh, Boston makes sense now. And I think, uh, you know, I think if it travels around North America a little bit, that wouldn't be bad. So... I'm excited. It's in, actually it's really useful for me for it to be in Boston. It makes it possible for me to go. That's good. So yeah, I'm excited. So talk to you next show. Thanks for joining us. Freeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Podfactory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Freeze and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Freeze and Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica 
and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Free as in Freedom website, faith.us. That's F-A-I-F dot us. Thank you.